All right. Well, let's. Um, I know we already prayed, but I want to just start uh, with a brief word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray now that as we uh, look into your word and as we begin to discuss this topic of evangelism and missions, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would uh, guide us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Pray that you would bless us with good conversation. We pray that you would uh, teach us more about you and uh, that you would uh, enable us to grasp the importance of this uh, topic, Father, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this evening we're going to talk about uh, evangelism and missions from a Reformed perspective. Um, not that uh, evangelism and missions should change, um, but it's an important topic, I think, in, in a Reformed uh, church, because often when people, at least my experience is when, when people um, think about Reformed churches or Reformed theology, especially if they're not familiar with it, if they're new to it, um, or maybe don't even um, hold to it, but they, they know what it is, um, there can be this sort of diminished view of evangelism. Um, you know, if God is sovereign... If God foreordains those who will be saved, then why evangelize? I mean, what's really... And there, and there is a group of, uh, you know, Reformed uh, churches out there, Reformed people out there, uh, who would make that argument. Uh, I typically refer to them as hyper-Calvinists. Uh, I don't think they would refer to themselves that way. Um, but it, it is the idea that since you know, God has sovereignly foreordained those who will be saved and God's will cannot be thwarted or frustrated, then we don't have to evangelize. There's, there's no need to evangelize. Um, God will save those whom he has foreordained uh, to save. Um, so why, why bother with it? Um, if God is sovereign in salvation. And, and I plan to answer that question. <laughs> right, right. So I will answer that question, um, but I'm just throwing that out there as something to think about. Um, but we also want to define what, what is evangelism. I mean, even just using that word, uh, specifically when we ask what is evangelism, what is the gospel? Um, how do we define that as well? Because not every quote-unquote Christian church or evangelical church will define or explain the gospel in the same way. And I think, I think it's important that we understand what, what that is. And then we also want to talk about you know, how uh, we should do evangelism and missions and how we should not do evangelism and missions. All right, so with that, first off, what, what is uh, the gospel, you know, what is the gospel? And well, the gospel first um, comes from uh, the Greek word euangelion, um, and that Greek word literally means good news. Um, uh, and so, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about proclaiming the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, well, what is the good news? Well, before you can know the good news, right, you've got to know the bad news. And the bad news is that we're all sinners. Um, and we've talked about this before with some of our earlier um, talks that we, that we had. Um, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Everyone has transgressed the law of God. Um, no one is perfect. Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we are all sinners. And then, of course, Romans 6.23 tells us what? The wages of sin is death, right? That that is what sin earns us, the wages of sin. So we deserve it. If we sin, then what that earns us is not only physical death, but eternal death um, in hell, which is not separation from God, by the way. Um, I don't think hell is separation from God. 
Um, it is really being immersed in the wrath and the anger of God for all of eternity. Um, and so that's where human beings are. And so then the gospel then is that uh, Romans 5, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Christ died in our place. Uh, and he doesn't just die in our place, but he lives the perfect life of obedience. We talked about this before when we talked about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Christ lives the perfect life of obedience to the law so that he earns righteousness um, on our behalf. He doesn't earn it for himself because he doesn't need righteousness. He is righteous in and of himself. God is uh, eternally and inherently righteous. So Christ takes on human form. This is what we're going to be celebrating here. This whole month we've been celebrating this. He takes on human form, is born into the world in order to live the life of a human being as the second Adam and to do and accomplish what the first Adam failed to do. And that is he keeps all of God's laws perfectly. And so the first Adam, had he been obedient to the one law, all of his posterity would have lived eternally. But he failed in that. So Christ comes as a second Adam. He keeps the law perfectly so that those who place faith in Christ are credited with his righteousness. And then he dies on the cross in order to take the punishment of sin for us. And when we put faith in Christ and believe that for ourselves, then that is how salvation takes place. Um, at the moment we put faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into us, indwells us. Uh, in fact, actually, when we talked about uh, you know the sovereignty of so when we talked about Reformed theology, if we want to be more accurate, the Holy Spirit takes a hold of us first, opens our eyes, enables us to believe and to see and understand the gospel. We place faith in Christ. We are sealed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. For all of eternity, right? And so that's the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is free to those who will simply believe. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything for it. We don't have to jump through any hoops. Um, we don't have to say a thousand Hail Marys or whatever the case may be, right? It is faith alone um, in Christ alone, right? The five solis, we talked about that before as well, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and to God be the glory alone, because God does everything. So I think it's important that we understand, um, you know, what, what is the gospel? Um, and that sounds like a very pedantic kind of question to ask or to start with, but, you know, part of the, the interview process for becoming a church member, um, that is one of the questions and I think everyone here has been through that process, so you were all asked that question, right? Do you remember that? Define the gospel or explain the gospel in your own words. And I cannot tell you how many times I ask that question to someone who's been a Christian for years, and they go, holy cow, wait, let me think for a minute, right? Um, as Christians, we need to be able to explain that because part of evangelism is sharing communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. And if you can't readily answer that question, you know, explain the gospel in your own words. If you're stumped on that question, how are you going to explain it to someone else? Right? So it's important that we as Christians understand the gospel for ourselves. We can articulate it. We can explain it in sound bites because oftentimes you don't have much time. Um, I know there was a church that uh, I was a member of in, uh, in, in Louisville when I was in seminary, and part of their evangelism training that they offered to members is that they would, they would help you be able to communicate the gospel in less than three minutes. Um, and uh, they would, you know, they'd have you write it out, summarize it, basically memorize it, get it to where in less than three minutes you can just effectively communicate the gospel to someone. Because a lot of times we don't have much more time than that. A lot of times that's, that's about the maximum amount of time that unbelievers will give you before they cut you off, like, okay, I'm done, right? So if you can get it in in three minutes, then they may be willing to continue the conversation, but if they don't, you've at least gotten the gospel, uh, the gospel to them. 
So what is the gospel? What is, what is evangelism? Well, evangelism is sharing the gospel. It's interesting because that word comes from the same Greek word, eungelion, right? Uh, evangelism to evangelize is to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the world. Um, and it's important that, uh, that we do this. Uh, and why? So here's, the, here's where I want to answer that question then. Why do evangelism, right? Um, from a Reformed perspective, like if you come from an Arminian perspective, they answer that question differently. Because if we don't share the gospel, everybody's going to go to hell, right? It is on us. It is our responsibility. And not only if we don't share it, if we don't share it effectively, right? You have got to know apologetics. You've got to know your scriptures because you've got to be able to convince people about the gospel. And if you can't do that, I mean, they're in your hands. I mean, they, they put... I grew up in an Armenian church. There's a lot of pressure that's put on you. You know, if, if you share the gospel and they walk away not believing, man, you know, you blew it. You need to, you need to strengthen your arguments. Um, but we know, we understand from Scripture that salvation is a sovereign work of God alone, right? So then what is the, um, the incentive? And, and, and I say that coming from that Armenian background, were, um, you know, very zealous for evangelism in a church that was very zealous for evangelism. And personally, when I came to an understanding of the sovereignty of God and salvation, I sort of struggled with that. Um, my zeal for evangelism sort of diminished, you know. Um, what is the point? Why do it? Um, well, here's the first reason. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. God says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. All humans were created for God's glory. Um, God's people are saved and redeemed for His glory. We exist in order to exalt the greatness of God, to magnify the great. That, that's our purpose in life. That is our purpose as Christians, is to magnify the greatness of God. Not just study His Word. Not just fill our heads with more theology, right? Because, um, you know, uh, someone once said that theology that does not lead to a life of doxology, you know, you basically end up with heterodoxy. Um, you know, what we learn should, trans should transform uh, our lives into a life that exalts the glory of God, that exalts the greatness of God. And we do that not just by how we live, I think most of us understand that. Well, yeah, we glorify God by loving God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? By striving to be good wives and husbands and fathers and mothers, right? And, and that, all that is true. Um, but it's more than just how we live our lives. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. First Peter 2.9, Peter writes, You are a chosen race. So he's writing to believers. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, so here's the reason. Here's the reason you're a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what Peter is saying is that if you're saved, God has saved you so that you may proclaim. It's verbal, right? It's not just how we live. It's verbal. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who 
called you, that is of God, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we glorify God by proclaiming the gospel, by telling people of what God has done for me, what Christ has provided for sinners, for those who are willing to believe. And so ultimately, that is the primary reason for communicating the gospel, is to glorify God. Right? In the process, people will get saved, but primarily it's to glorify God. I think I've shared this quote with you before. Um, Arthur Pink said this, and I believe it's in his book, The Sovereignty of God. The gospel is not an invitation, but a proclamation. It's not an invitation. It's a proclamation. And it is not a proclamation concerning sinners. It's not a proclamation about sinners, but a proclamation concerning Christ and that glorious thing which he accomplished at the cross. That, that's what the gospel is. It's a proclamation concerning Christ. It is saying to the world, look at what Christ has done. He's provided salvation. He's provided a means of escape from God's judgment. He's provided a means of forgiveness. If you'll simply repent and believe, salvation is yours. Eternal life is yours. It's absolutely free. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to work for it. Just believe. And Christ has done all of this for us. So, the first reason is we're created for God's glory. And the way that we bring God glory is by proclaiming the gospel to the world. But a second reason is that God commands it. Right? God commands it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Right? The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Right? So we are commanded by Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, so God commands it. Second reason. One, to glorify God. Two, God commands it. Three, love demands it. Right? Love demands it. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We just read the Great Commission is Christ commanding us to proclaim the gospel. And then Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in John 15, 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command, right? If you're a friend of Jesus, then you're going to follow his commands. And he commands us to proclaim the gospel. It's not an option. It's something that we are commanded to do to share the gospel with people. But I said love demands it, right? So love for Christ, if we love Christ, if we love God, but then also even the two great commandments in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Right? So we have to ask ourselves, do we really love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul? And if the answer is yes, then this God that we love says, go and make disciples of all nations. Do we love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul? And the second great commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that always, you know, goes hand in hand with the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve: Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. If you were lost in sin and your neighbor was saved, would you want your neighbor to share the gospel with you? Right? The answer is yes. Right? We would want our neighbor to say something to us. That's what the second great commandment is all about. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And if you were the one that was lost and your neighbor was the one that knew the means of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, you would want your neighbor to share the gospel with you. Um, who is that? Uh, I can't remember his name now, but there's a famous um, atheist 
And there's a video clip that has gone around, and you've probably seen it uh, once I say the quote. But there's a famous atheist who, um, in this video clip, says that, you know, he doesn't believe God exists, and he doesn't hold any religion. Uh, but he says, he says, but you know what? I have no respect for Christians that won't tell me about Jesus. He says, because if that's what they really believe, if they really believe... No, no. Um, he said, he said if, if that's what they really believe, he says, why wouldn't they want to warn me? He says, it's like if you see an 18-wheeler heading down the road about to kill me and you say nothing, what kind of a person does that? No, it's not Joe Rogan. It's not Joe Rogan. I'll find it later. It just popped into my head, so it's not in my notes. I'll find it and send it. To, I've actually posted it on my Facebook page, so it wouldn't be hard to find. Um, but uh, you know, but he, he he just outright says, "I I have respect for religious people to try to share their religion with me because I know they're at least communicating that they care about me on some level, which is why they're telling me." This right? So, well, there's a, he's a logical atheist, right? Right. Right. He is. Right. Right. Yeah. Another way of saying it is that if, you know, if you believed that, um, you know, there was a, an asteroid headed for Earth that was going to destroy Earth as we know it, and you were the only one who found this out somehow, you work at NASA and you discovered it, do you tell somebody or do you keep that to yourself? Right? You tell somebody, right? I mean, if you care about people, you're going to tell somebody there is an asteroid heading toward us. Um, What's that? Pendulette. That's it. Pendulette. Pendulette. Um, so the, the, and so he makes a valid point that the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So love demands that if we really love people like we say we do, and if we love God like we say we do, then we should be communicating the gospel with a lost, with a lost world, right? Um, regardless of how we understand salvation. See, because the struggle, and I'm just going to be honest here, the struggle in Reformed churches a lot of times is that, well, they're going to be saved if they're the elect. But again, the primary reason we communicate the gospel is not so that they'll be saved, but to glorify God. That's the primary reason. To bring God glory. Um, but yes, secondarily, is so that they will be saved because as Paul makes clear in Romans uh, 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Thus, Paul, right, the, uh, the original Calvinist, Right? Paul says what in Romans 10? Look at Romans 10. I mean, and first of all, even before we look at what he wrote in Romans 10, just think of the life of Paul. I mean, we get our Reformed theology from Paul, right? Romans 9, Ephesians 2. Yet Paul was a zealous nut for evangelism. I mean, he just would go from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue. He had been beaten. He had rocks bounced off his head. It did not stop him, right? Um, why is that? Well, look at uh, Romans ten fourteen. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, right? How can they believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching someone's got to communicate the gospel to them and how are they to preach unless they are sent 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right? The point that Paul is making is, look, regardless of what we believe about the sovereignty of God and salvation, the reality is this. Not a single person will be saved if we don't communicate the gospel. Because God chooses to work through the proclamation of the gospel to save sinners. People will not get saved if we don't communicate the gospel to the world. So why should Reformed Christians care so much about evangelism? Well, the reasons that I've listed. But let me share a quote with you by Spurgeon. and I know many of you have heard this quote before. Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, who was a staunch Calvinist, wrote a great little book, by the way, titled A Defense of Calvinism. Anyone read that book by Spurgeon? Yeah, Spurgeon wrote that, A Defense of Calvinism. And yet, Spurgeon also said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That was Spurgeon, right? Um, if people are going to go to hell, let them go to hell with us clinging to their knees, imploring them to put your faith in Christ and don't perish eternally. So, how do we do evangelism? Um, well, first of all, as we interact with the world, right? As we interact with the world. I mean, the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, it's actually a, a present active participle. Um, in the Greek. And so uh, a, a good translation would be, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. His point is that as we go through life, as we go through our daily routine, as we go to the HEB or Walmart, um, you know, we are, as we interact with the world, we should be taking every opportunity that we can to share the gospel with people and to tell them um, about Christ. Of course, second, intentionally, right? We should, we should be intentional about evangelism. In other words, street witnessing, open-air preaching like I you know, was a part of in Austin, never seen that done before. I thought it was great. To my knowledge, we had not a single conversion. But who knows what God's going to do? I mean, it was a crowded intersection with people just, I mean, going in all different directions. And so, literally, we're just like throwing seeds, right? If the gospel's a seed, it's like we had a bag of it, and we're just throwing it out there as people are going by. And who knows? Maybe it'll take root, and the Holy Spirit will cause it to take root, and they'll think about it, and they'll, the Holy Spirit will use that to bring them to Christ. Who knows what God will do? Um, our job is just to share the gospel with as many as you can and let God sort them out. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah. My question is, isn't that in the form, without getting into details, isn't that, isn't that in the form of actually an urgent? Yeah, thing? yes. Like it's, urgent, it's an urgent imperative. Yeah. It's not just an imperative, but it's like, yeah. like do this. Yes, yeah. It's, it's, he, he, it's a command. He's telling us, this is what you must do. This is what all Christians are to do, is to share the gospel. And so when you think about it in that way, it is a sin to not share the gospel. I mean, we hate to think of it that way, but it is a sin not to. It is a sin to pass up on an opportunity to share the gospel. And you've probably all been there before, right? I've been there. You're having a conversation with someone, and there's this nagging little voice that's the Holy Spirit saying, share the gospel with them. Say something. Maybe some other day. Right? We have just disobeyed the urging of the Holy Spirit to obey the Great Commission command. Tell this person about Jesus. Um, so in sharing the gospel, how do we share it? As we interact with the world intentionally, how should we not do evangelism? Um, 
number one, I got four points here. Number one, men should be the ones who teach evangelism training and organize evangelism events. Um, Because again, the primary responsibility of leading families, leading the church falls with the men. And I have been in too many churches where the person doing the evangelism training is a woman. The person who's organizing the evangelism outreach events is a woman. And I sit back and I say, where are all the men? Um, You know, when Jesus chose 12 disciples, they were all men. When he gave the Great Commission, he gave it to the disciples and said, go make disciples of all nations, right? They didn't then turn around and look at Mary and Martha and say, okay, start doing some evangelism training and organize some stuff, right? They went. Paul went, right? Um, If we're going to follow the biblical model, um, the men should be doing this. Number two, not using children, right? Parents should not seek to vicariously minister through their children. And I see that a lot, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this backyard Bible club and we're going to train the children to share the gospel with other children. And, you know, we'll, the adults will organize it, but we're going to get the kids to share the gospel with everybody, right? Um, uh, you know, or um, I've, I've heard that I'm sending my kids to public school, not that I'm against it, uh, but I'm sending my kids to public school so that they can share the gospel with the world. Well, uh, I think it was Vody Bauckham that said that your children are the mission field, not missionaries, right? And, and he's right. Our children are the mission field, not the missionaries. Um, and so uh, it should be the adults who are leading by example and ministering the gospel to um, the children. Um, number three, uh, don't use the sinner's prayer. Uh, I think it just creates a level of false assurance right? Uh, how do you know you're saved? Because I said the sinner's prayer, right? Um, I have this little card that I signed. It's right here, right? Got my signature on it. Right. That was my next one. No altar calls or gimmicks, right? We're going we're gonna to sing just as I am until we get 40 people up here, right? And, uh, you know, because again, it creates a false sense of assurance. Um, you know, years later, how do you know you're saved? Because the preacher said, if you want to get saved, raise your hand. And so I did. And then he said, come down forward. And so I did. Then he said, say this prayer. And so I said it. There you go. See, I walked the aisle. I know I'm saved, right? But that's not the assurance of salvation. That's not the evidence of salvation. The proof of salvation is a transformed life. Now, if that took place, great. But we've created a lot of secular Christians who think that they're saved. They're not living the life at all because when they were 10 years old at some youth ministry event, you know, they walked the aisle and said the prayer and then got baptized and they've lived the hellion life ever since. Um, And so, and that's one of the reasons I don't do that. And one of the reasons I've never done it, because in my understanding, you know, if you give an altar call, the moment the person stands up, they're already saved. I mean, if they truly believe what they're hearing, you know, before they, in their mind, as soon as they say, I hear what he's saying, and I believe it. They are saved at that moment. The standing up and the walking forward does nothing, right? And so it's just, and, and you don't see that in, in, in the Bible. You know, what you see in the Bible, what must we do to be saved? Repent and believe, right? Repent and believe. Yeah. Right, Mark chapter 1, right? Repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so let's talk about missions. Yes. I just wanted to back up just a second when you were talking about the ways that we do evangelize. And right. You were talking about intentionally speaking. But couldn't we also say that we could do that by intentionally, like, praying over meals in a public place, like at restaurants? I mean, so people do that with that. Well, it's a, it's a testimony of our Christian faith. But remember, the gospel is you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And... Christ died on the cross for your sins and you have to place faith in him, right? That's the gospel. So just just praying, you're identifying as a Christian, but that doesn't really communicate the gospel message to people. That could just um, segue them into asking questions, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It could, yeah. I mean, it could. Um, but we also need to be careful about that because 
Remember, that's where I go back to the Great Commission, is that too oftentimes as Christians, we get into this habit of doing things that we hope is going to cause our neighbor to ask questions, right? But that's not what Jesus says. The Great Commission isn't sit at home and wait for your neighbor to knock on your door and say, will you tell me about Jesus, right? It was, it's go, go out into the world, go to your neighbor, go, you know, actively, it's active, it's not passive, it's not wait for your neighbor to come to you or wait for someone to ask you about your faith. The gospel, the Great Commission is go and make disciples of all nations. Um, Yeah. Right. So, if you look at the word disciple, and I just pulled it up here, we're all disciples right. of Jesus Christ ourselves. And it says basically, a disciple is one who embraces and assists in spreading the teachings of another. Right. So, we're supposed to make people, hopefully, like us. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, that make is kind of important. Yeah. People skip over that. Well, yeah, make. Well, I mean, there's a little more to it. Right. Yeah. Well, they skip over the, the rest of it. You know, the Great Commission is three parts, right? It's make disciples of all nations, which means evangelism, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father. So baptism is number two. And then the third part is, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So, so part of the Great Commission is also saying, okay, if you really believe, then you have to read this and live by it. You should want to read this and live by it if you really believe. Um, that's all the Great Commission right there. Um, so, all right, so missions, evangelism and missions. Um, what is missions, right, when we talk about that? Well, word meaning, it comes from the Latin verb, because you don't find missions in the Bible, first of all. You're not going to find where it talks about missions. That word doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from a Latin verb, miseo, which literally means to send, right? So uh, to, to go on a mission or to be a missionary is to be sent, out into the world. And so in one sense, all Christians are missionaries, right? Because the Great Commission, Jesus is sending us into the world to make disciples of all nations. So in one sense, we are all missionaries. But um, in another sense, um, uh, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, in one sense, we're all missionaries because the church, the church's mission and the mission of every Christian is to reach the world with the gospel. Let's look at John three sixteen. I know you're all familiar with John three sixteen, But I think this is important because this was Jesus' mission. And if it was Jesus' mission, then by default, it's the church's mission. Um, and I think it's important, especially for Reformed thinkers, to wrap their mind around this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now listen to verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus is saying right, right there, I did not come into the world to bring judgment or condemn the world. I came into the world that the world might be saved through me right? Redemption. That, that was his mission. His mission was to bring redemption to the world. If that is the mission of Christ, our Lord and Savior, then that is the mission of the church. And it is the mission of every uh, believer. Thus, the church is not just for saints. It's not just for the edification of the saints. It is. See, there's that balance there. Right? On the other side, a lot of your Arminian churches, they think that church is all about evangelism. Right? So every Sunday, it's the gospel. It's all about evangelism, and nobody grows in their faith. On the other extreme are the churches where it's all about theology and feeding the saints and learning about God. And, oh, yeah, there's evangelism that happens sometimes out there, but it's all about digging into the Word of God. But it's, it's both. Right? The church, both the local church, the universal church, is to feed the sheep, to teach them the Word of God, but it is also evangelism. The mission of the church is reaching the lost. 
And, and so we ought to be about the business of, of doing that. So in one sense, we're all missionaries. In another sense, uh, we're not all missionaries, right? Because we haven't all been sent to a foreign country where the gospel has never gone before. Because that is what it means to be a missionary to an unreached people group. Paul was a missionary in that sense, right? In the classic sense, uh, the end of Romans... Romans 15, 22, Paul says this is the reason. So he's writing to the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome. He didn't plant the church in Rome. Uh, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul says, look, the gospel has spread throughout Asia Minor, right? And uh, into um, uh, Italy, right? The, the, the Italian peninsula there. And so Paul says, now I want to go to Spain. No one has gone there with the gospel. That's where I'm going, right? So Paul is a missionary in the classic sense. So in one sense, all Christians are missionary. But in another sense, you know, we're not leaving the comforts of our home and going to South Africa or something, uh, something to that effect. So we want to be careful that we don't, you know, mix the two. Um, and so how do you know if you're called to be a missionary? Because that's still important. I think, you know what, I'm going to come back to that point. Um, let me skip over to my next point where I ask the question, are missionaries still needed? You know, do we still need, is there a need for missions? There are some people who think there isn't. Well, I think there is, because here's some interesting uh, statistics. Uh, this is from the Joshua Project, uh, which uh, they, they like to track um, unreached people groups. Um, and they say 41.9% uh, of people groups are unreached in the world. 41.9% of people groups are unreached. That is 3.4 billion people in the world have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of people. What is a people group? First of all, it's not like a nation, right? Sometimes there can be several people groups within a nation. There's two things, two criteria that define a people group. Number one, all individuals in the group understand each other reasonably well. They basically speak the same language. It might be a variation of the same language, but they can communicate within that people group. And number two, the cultural slash relationship barriers are not so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. In other words, that once you get the gospel into this people group, the, cult the cultural differences within the people group are so minor that the gospel will be able to flow within that people group, right? Um, so, 41.9% of people groups in the world are unreached. Here's some other interesting facts. This is from Wycliffe.net. Uh, the Wycliffe Bible translators. There are 7,394 languages in the world, as far as we know. That many different languages. 7,394 different distinct, distinct languages in the world. Of those, 736, big difference, 736 languages have the complete Bible in their language. 736. 3,658 languages have some scripture translated into their language. 3,658 languages have some scripture translated into their language. Uh, the new portions of the New Testament, but not entirely. But listen to this. 3,736 languages have no scripture translated into their language. That is 191.5 million people. Say that again. 191.5 million do not have any portion of the Bible translated into their language. No. No, some of them don't even have a written version. And so Bible translators who go in, they have to develop a language before they can even translate the Bible into their language, right? 
So when the question is, is there a need for missions? Yes. Right? There, there is still a great need for people willing to leave the comforts of America and go someplace where the gospel has not gone. Um, 41.9% of people groups have been unreached. The gospel has not gone into that area of the world and they have no idea what Christianity is or the name Jesus or none of it. Um, so, how do you know if you're called to missions? Well, I always think, how do you know you're called to any kind of ministry? Um, I always think there's three things to look for. One, there's the internal indicator, right? You just have a desire for it. The Lord has laid a burden on your heart. You've got a desire to go out and try to reach a certain people group. Uh, number two, external um, confirmation. In other words, people who know you think, yeah, I can see you doing that. You seem called. You seem to have the gifting. I can see God using you and just confirming it for you. And then number three is circumstantial, uh, uh, providential circumstances. And that is God opens up doors for you to go into that field of ministry, whatever it may be, right? But it starts with the internal indicator. I mean, if you have a desire for it, then it may be that God is calling you into foreign missions, and there is certainly a need for that. All right, how a church should uh, do missions and not do missions. Uh, missionaries, first of all, should be funded by their church. Um, they should be funded by their church and or supported by those they minister to. Where do I get that from? And this is a biggie, right? This is a biggie. Uh, something I had to fight with uh, my previous church about. Third John. Look at Third John three to eight. And or supported by those they minister to. So look at Third John. It's a little, not very well known passage. Third John, that I think is important when we talk about ministry or missions uh, verse 5 to 8 beloved it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are who testify to your love before the church you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God for they have gone out for the sake of the name right so they're going out trying to share the gospel for the sake of the name Listen to this, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John commends them that they're not accepting anything from the unbelieving world. Uh, and yet so often churches, you know, we're trying to send a group on a missionary somewhere, missionary trip. So we're going to go out into the unbelieving neighborhoods and we're going to ask them for money, or we're going to, you know, um, you know, we're going to, uh, right, we're going to sell pies, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a, a yard sale, have all the church members bring all your junk that you want to sell, we'll sell it in the front of the church building, and we'll get the neighbors, the unbelieving neighbors to come and buy this stuff, so we can, you know, the Bible says, look, you don't, you don't depend on the unbelieving world to do God's work right? God will support his own work. I, all, I have always believed if God is in it, God will provide for it, right? If God is in it, God will provide for it. Not only that, but you look at um, Matthew 10, right? Matthew 10, when Jesus sends out the 12 on their first missionary training expedition, right? He was really preparing them for when I go, you got to do this on your own. Matthew chapter 10, verse 9, these 12 he sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or a staff. Why? For the laborer deserves his food. In other words, he's saying that as you go, 
people should just take care of you. They'll invite you into their home. They'll feed you. You let, you let the people you're ministering to support you as you go out and you share the gospel with the world, right? And we see Paul doing that. Uh, Paul, again, in Romans 15, the passage that we just looked at, Paul here is writing to a church, and he says, uh, I, have, I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. This is really a missionary letter. The book of Romans is a missionary letter. That's why, but part of why Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome that he's never visited. He wants to go to Spain. He's hoping the church in Rome will help him financially and they'll support him. So he writes this missionary letter, the book of Romans, really to introduce himself, to communicate the gospel to them. And at the end of it says, I'm hoping to get your support as I make my way to Spain. Right? So that's the model that we see in Scripture. That when we seek to do the Lord's work, we should trust that God will provide through His people, through the church. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I think that when we send out missionaries, the missionaries should be fully uh, funded by the church, uh, uh, preferably by the local church, their sending church. But if their sending church is too small, then maybe several churches are supporting that missionary um, but they shouldn't be looking to the unbelieving world. Um, it's one of the things that I've been against in the past, for example. I've had people suggest that, uh, that, that you, know, you know, there's a way that you can download this app and, and you put it like on your church website. Some of you may have seen it. That basically say, look, every time you go to Amazon, if you, if you click on this link through our church website and you go to Amazon and you buy things, then the church gets a certain percentage of whatever you purchase from Amazon. Uh, but then aren't we actually looking to Amazon to fund the church? Right? We shouldn't be looking to the unbelieving world to fund the church. We let God fund the church. All right, so how, we sh how, how should we not do missions? Two points. Number one, we should avoid mass short-term mission trips. That's my firm belief in that. Um, in other words, you know, organizing a group of students, high schoolers, families, or whatever, to send them someplace on this one or two week mission trip, um, I, I see very little value in that. And that's not just me. I've spoken with missionaries over the years, and I've had several of them say to me, they find those trips oftentimes to be more of an inconvenience than a help uh, because they're there for such a short time they end up having to stop focusing on what they were doing to organize this mass group that is here. A lot of times they want to do some sightseeing while they're there. Can we go see some special sites? And it ends up turning into just this little vacation to another country where they get to come back and feel good about themselves because like, oh, I suffered for Jesus. I went on this, you know, one-week mission trip. And uh, now I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a godlier person uh, for it. Um, I think we should avoid mass short-term mission trips. If someone is seriously considering missionary work, I mean, there is a person in the church, I really believe God might be calling me into missionary work, then the church should send or help that person on a short-term mission trip. But when I say short-term, they ought to be willing to go for like three to six months so that they get a real taste. You can't get a real taste of what it's like to be a missionary in a foreign country in seven days, right? You've got to be there for at least three to six months so that you know what life is like and what life is going to be like if you're serious about becoming a missionary. Lastly, I think we should avoid sending uh, children on missionary trips um, because that goes back to, again, avoid using children for evangelism. Um, you know, children are the mission field. They're not the missionaries. And so I don't think the church should be in the business of sending children uh, to another country uh, to do mission work and certainly not sending whole families, groups of families um, who really aren't serious about mission work. Uh, 
Um, they're just curious. They're interested. It sounds exciting. Um, there's a better way to use God's resources than to send whole groups of families to another, to another country. Um, so again, I think you look for individuals who I really think God's calling me. Well, we'll work with you. We'll you know, hook up with another missionary somewhere else. We'll send you there, help you. We'll help pay to keep you there for an extended period of time so you get some really good experience and figure out if this is where God is calling you to, um, but not uh, use it as an opportunity to just um, help people feel better about themselves. And I know that's not true of everybody that does those. But by and large, I think it's true of a lot of them. So that is how I think we do evangelism and missions from a Reformed perspective. Um, any? Yes. There's one scripture that you didn't mention. Like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and it, it's, it, makes, it makes some points about sure. some things you said. And that's Second uh, Corinthians 5.20. So it says in the English Standard Version, Therefore... We are ambassadors for mm-hmm. Christ. God making his appeal through us. Yeah. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact you said a little bit ago, God makes the appeal through, through us, which is right. amazing, really. Yeah. Yeah, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that language. You know, what, what do ambassadors do? They, they, they go to foreign countries uh, as representatives of the nation that sent them. And so we are representatives of the kingdom of God, right? And this is not our home, right? This is not God's kingdom. Um, And so we are representatives of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for Christ going out into the world, imploring them to put their faith in Christ. There's one other thing, too, that I would back up with that, too, which is part of your your trustees tonight, which is fantastic, but... The mission field right here. Yeah. I mean, your yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. People you come in contact with all the time. And yeah. The mission field is, is, you know, the harvest is ripe for the worker. Right. Right. Yeah. And we don't have to go. And now that's, again, I don't want to say that we should not consider becoming missionaries, but it, we don't have to go to a foreign country. To, there are people right here who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's plenty of opportunities here. But again, there is still a need for people to be willing to go to foreign countries, to go to unreached people group, because there is a lot of them out there that still amazingly have not heard anything regarding the gospel or Christ or Christianity. They have no scripture at all translated into their own language. Um, that's amazing that there are still thousands of people groups out there like that so certainly something to uh, to pray about and uh, consider yeah astonishing out of the what 7,000 languages only 730 something have the Bible fully translated um, of the 7,000 languages that exist in the world um, Almost half of them do not have it at all in their language. None in their language. Um, that's that's amazing. It's heartbreaking. Eric that's heartbreaking. That operated Christian Discipleship Ministries. Um, his name was Charles Case Bolton. Bobby was saying was that was his motto of his discipleship was you, missions start where you live, work, and play. Yeah. And he would say that you know you're you're like in the he would do like a. Um, like a hub and go out right. and say like this is you for every person you directly impact which is four those right. four turns into eight to 16, right. 32 and to just the exponential yeah. numbers that if you start centrally and it goes outward instead of trying to go outward and yeah. centrally you right. reach a bigger and, and that's, a, that's a good point and a good thing to look for you know when I talk about if you're called to missions you know, um, internal indicators and, and external confirmation. Part of that external confirmation, I think, is is that person evangelizing their neighbors? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not actively evangelizing their neighbors, 
how are they going to do that in a foreign country? Why do they think that's going to change when they go to a foreign country? And this is often what I've seen in like with churches that I've been a part of where they've done these mass mission trips. A lot of the people in that group that I would talk with um, don't share the gospel with anybody. You know, I would ask them directly, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody at school or work or whatever? And well, I don't, then why do you want to go on this mission trip? I mean, if you're not evangelizing here, what is the big deal about going there? You know, um, maybe it's, well, I don't know those people, right? So they're not going to make fun of me. So I can go there and I'll help the missionaries who are already there, but then I'll come back and not. There's actually a Christian song, I think, about that. Uh, I think it's Casting Crowns that talks about, yeah, yeah. If we can't share the gospel with our neighbor across the street, why do we think we need to go across the world or something like that? And, and, and it's a very convicting song. Like, if you really want to reach the world, start by reaching across the street. Because that's not exciting. Right. Well, and there's the possibility that they might not like you, and then you got to live next to this person, right? Um, and so I think, I think those are good uh, things to just uh, think about. Um, yeah, Bobby. Yeah. Sort of referred to as a point of contact, which just so, I mean, hopefully everybody here understands you don't have to walk up to somebody and smack them in the face. Right. You can start a conversation, and, you know, if you get kind of so quote unquote skilled at it, you can start to get, you know, to where bottom line is you're, you're, you're at the gospel, or possibly you can tell that, you know, it's in a sense you're being maybe rebuked with. There's a lot of ways to tell if a person really, really wants to listen or not. So it's kind of like, you know, right. and I, I got to say, there's been times when I've just, I'll just come right out with it yeah. and ask somebody, are you saved? Right. You know? Saved from what? Yeah. Impending yeah. doom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but there's, there's ways. Sure. I mean, Mars Hill is a perfect example. Let me tell yeah. you about this unknown God. And he goes into this great dissertation. Right. And tells them about the God they didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So confession. I did uh, tonight. I had an opportunity with my last family family of the day, but we've had ongoing conversations in bits and pieces because it's hard. You know, I'm there to do, provide a service. Right. Right. So I guess. Um, so the confession is. Um, I was tugging at my heart where I had mom and dad present at the same time, which wasn't always true, and um, I felt that need like. Oh, yeah, hope and believe. So he said, I sought you out because there's got to be something good in that. Yeah, yeah. He said that. And, and, he, and I said, well, do you believe in Christ? And he says, I believe there's a God. There must be a God. Um, but he couldn't really tell me why. And so we started the conversation. He says, well, you know, we'll see. You know, we're, I'm here for my son. So we, I'm focusing, I'm hoping through what the changes he sees and sees in his son are how, I, I'm hoping God will use whatever um, he allows me to do with his son to show him that, you know, that they're cared for, they're loved, and Christ can work in different ways, but also to maybe open up new conversations. Yeah. So I think that, um, so, okay, so the hopeful thing is that I know, um, they're, they are excited with working with me, which is nice. It's, um, 
it's it's a blessing because I'm the oldest therapist there. <laughs> you know, so they're used to most families want young and fresh and you know quick and um, I'm not quick, but whatever I have I, is from experience. So right. I try to share whatever tools I can give them right. that those therapists don't have yet. You know, so yeah. and I think because he comes from a different country, he respects that. More than most Americans yeah. do, so I'm hoping that God will use those things to help to build that relationship. You know, I really would love to see him come to Christ because I know he's not, and I don't know his wife well enough. But she has this energy where I believe she. We just have to have deeper conversations to know better. But I mm-hmm. think that she might know Christ, and she's trying to win her husband over. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, Certainly something to keep praying about, you know, and um, try to try to uh, open up those those opportunities, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've we've all most of us have been there where we struggle with saying something. And, and I think there's a variety of reasons. I think sometimes it's fear. I think sometimes it's pride. You know, afraid you're going to look silly. You're not going to have the right answer. Um afraid of damaging the relationship you know they might get upset at me and then oh this is going to be awkward the next time i see them um you know but at at the end of the day um you know i think um what i've learned is that the more you do it the easier it becomes Mm -hmm. because you realize that nine times out of ten things don't the the worst scenario in your mind that you're imagining doesn't actually happen right i mean Bobby talks about going to H-E-B and witnessing. How many times have you had someone throw tomatoes at you? Nobody's ever thrown tomatoes. Right. <laughs> right. So, so the, the, the point is, in, in the United States, I mean, unless you're like street witnessing in San Francisco or something like that, I mean, in, the, in Texas, most people are not going to respond aggressively. Um, yeah. Right. Well, there you go. If you have your boss's permission. So, yeah. She also has some, you know, I've seen some people cross some boundaries and she's called them back, but they were good reasons, you know. Yeah. And so, and the other thing, I guess, part of the question I wanted to ask was um, because he's um, a male and I'm I'm witnessing, you know, you said the men should leave, but this is a situation where I'm the one that's in position. Uh, yeah, I was talking about like evangelism training in the church, okay. and but the Great Commission is for all Christians. Okay. Every Christian is to communicate the gospel to unbelievers, male, female, doesn't matter. Um, we we need to get the gospel out there. Um, but why don't we go ahead and wrap up, and let me close this in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, cause this topic to weigh, to weigh heavy on all of us, Lord God, that this is a responsibility that you've given to the church. Uh, you've not given the responsibility of communicating the gospel to angels. Uh, you've given it to believers, Lord, to the church. And, uh, and I pray that you would um, help us to, to feel the weight of the Great Commission and uh, that you would increase our desire to want to bring you glory by communicating the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to those who are willing uh, to listen, Lord. And um, Father, we just uh, pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay.